Well, good morning again. It's good for us to be here. Uh, I'm Joe Wood, and we are in our second sermon of our series called The Art of Racing in the Storm. If you're looking at that going, I feel like I've, I've heard that phrase before. Yes, it is a total ripoff. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Um, but we've changed just enough words to make it make sense. And, and the point here is we wonder, what does it take as we're going through life? Okay, as you are going through life, what does it take to keep going when the circumstances around you change? Um, it's one thing to be able to race and be able to race in the sunshine. We talked about the beginnings of that last week. Um, you know, um, you're, you're out on the racetrack and, and the tires are sticky and the car's running good and everything's wonderful. But what happens when it starts raining? Not what happens when your motor blows up, what happens when you hit the wall. What, what, no, no, no. Just what happens when things are not going to go the way that they have been going or you dreamed that they would go? How do you continue to move forward? Because Paul tells us we don't have to beat the person next to us. We do not have to outrun the people around us. All we have to do, he says, is finish the race that is marked out for us. And I like that. You know, I've been processing that just a little bit. Um, next Sunday after the sermon, um, uh, a couple of us, uh, myself, a board member, and another member of this church are going to um, Zimbabwe, Africa. And so I was thinking about that, and I, was, and I was just kind of processing the idea. The race that we run here is different than the race that they run there. It's the same race, but it's run differently. The race that we run in Kentucky is different than the race that is being run at L.A. It's the same race. It's just marked out differently. So there's different expressions of how we're going to worship God, and there's different expressions of what God has called us to, but the truth of the matter is there is still a race that Jesus Christ has marked out for us, and we need to be running that particular race, and that's what we're talking about. Now, before I get into the scripture, I just want to say, you know, as a kid, I lived and died for Sunday mornings. I just did. Excuse me, Saturday mornings. I loved Saturday mornings. Saturday morning, when I got up, it was cartoon time, and they had like real cartoons back then, okay? I just want to say, um, I don't mean to offend some of you younger people who was born after like 1990 or something, but you have no clue what cartoons are supposed to look like, like Johnny Quest, the original Johnny Quest, um, um, Racer X, um, you know, I mean, just some of these cartoons were great, but there was one that I really enjoyed, and that was called Wacky Racers. And uh, I, I just was thinking about that this morning when I came to um, church. I sat down and I thought, I remember I used to get up every Saturday morning and I used to watch this, this cartoon. I just wanted to see this cartoon. There you see Perfect Pete and, and, and you see Penelope up there and you see this other guy. Um, it's a car. It was all about different cars and all the different cars could do different things. And, and, and it had, you know, like if you see up in the cloud there, it had the caveman. And so um, it had, you know, that was rock and gravel slope. Lag. Um, and so it, it, it just a, a bunch of cliche names. But there was this guy in the front here, Dick Dastardly and his dog Muttley. Um, I, I just, they, to me as a kid, they were the funniest thing in the world. Probably now I would watch that and I would go, this is the dumbest cartoon I think I have ever seen. But as a child, I thought that was the most hilarious thing. And I was always wanting to see what Dick Dastardly and Muttley were going to attempt to accomplish because Dick Dastardly and Muttley were always, always, always cheating. And so this morning, I want to talk from the scripture, Paul's letter to Timothy, about the fact that not only have we been called to run the race, 
But you and I have been called to run it fairly against a culture that is doing everything it can to beat the people next to them, even if it means cheating. And, and I hate to say this, but even in church, even in church, like, let's, 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 don't go, let's just read the scripture. We're going to read in 2 Timothy, and I'm going to read from this thing. This thing in my hand is called a Bible. Um, it, it's printed. Um, it's been printed for a long time. You'll find different versions of it based on, it's not just willy-nilly people make a version. You'll find different versions of it based on which manuscripts were found when over the last decade or two and how they've been able to translate it into, for you and I, into the English language. But we're going to read from 2 Timothy. It will always show up up here for you. Okay, don't feel bad. It will always show up for you. I would encourage you to get one of these things. You can find one at a bookstore or you can get them on Amazon. If you just Google the word B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me, it will come up on Amazon and it will say, you know, you can order one of these for $19.95 or you can get the super holy version for $72.45. And that has like a chain reference and study material in it and you can ignore that just like everybody else that buys one of those, but you will look super spiritual carrying a 1,200-pound Bible around. It'll be awesome. I'm going to read from this. Let's get into 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just a couple of verses here. Paul is writing to Timothy, his, his protege. Timothy is his guy. Timothy is the, is the person that, that, that Paul is pouring into as a church planter. And he says this, you then, my son. Now, he's not his son. He's his spiritual son. He loves Timothy. He has poured into Timothy. He has taken Timothy on as a spiritual son. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. He's telling them how to do church, how to further the kingdom and the gospel. He says, endure hardship with us. That means it's going to get hard, okay? It's not going to be easy, Timothy, so endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, I need you all to pay attention to this where your theologies are concerned. It says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It says, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Our commanding officer is Jesus Christ. Therefore, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Therefore, our orders come down from Jesus Christ. Therefore, the most important thing for us to know is what did Jesus say that is written in this Bible that we need to be about while we're on this earth. It goes on to say, similarly... If anyone competes as an athlete, and that's where we are right now, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. All right? It says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight to all of this. And so this is what we've got going on, and we've got Paul expressing to Timothy, this is how I want you 
to further the kingdom. Now, I believe it's in Ephesus that Paul left Timothy and said, Timothy, I want you to stay here and I want you to build up the church. And I don't want you to let other people look down on you because you're young, but he's kind of challenging them a little bit in and amongst there to be respectful of older people. There's a whole bunch of things that Paul has laid down for him. But here, he's challenging him on the fact that he's given him the gospel, he's explained it to him, he has poured into him, and he has challenged him to stay the course. And he said, there is a crown that awaits for the the victor, for the person that finishes the race. I got to run a a tough mutter way back in 2013. You've heard me talk about this. I'll never do it again unless my uh, my two or three sons want to do it, then maybe. Um, But it was the hardest thing, honestly, that I have ever done in my life. It is a race that just absolutely made me miserable. It was a race that I ended up trying to recover from for the next couple of days as I visited my oldest son. I was so glad that I ran that race. I was so glad that when I felt like I was falling back, there were people that were there to hold me up. The crazy part was none of this race for me especially was about finishing first. None of it. It was about finishing All I wanted to do was prove to myself that if I was willing to work hard enough, I could finish the course. If I was willing to endure the pain and the suffering and the cramps and the, I mean, they were giving us different things all along this race to keep us from needing an ambulance and yet somebody still needed an ambulance. And before you started the race, you could go see the people who were finishing the race and at the finish of the race, there was all these little tiny wires hanging and there was a, a, a voltmeter and a charger over on that post right there and you could stand in front of that post and it said that it was charged those little wires at 9,986 volts, 10,000 volts. Amperage way low, volts way high. So what was happening was at the end people had to run through about 30 feet of these little wires hanging down while their feet were in the muddy water and every time that thing hit somebody you could hear it go pow and you could watch that number drop down to like 8,200 volts. And then it would shoot back up to almost 10,000 and then somebody would hit it and it would go back down. And this is Paul telling us, in order to finish the race and get the t-shirt and the orange headband, you have to go through the 10,000 volts. You have to be willing to endure the race. And life is the same way. Sometimes we see that it is going to be a struggle to the very end and we have to decide Are we actually going to finish this race? There were some people that went around some of the elements in the race. You had to jump off a 20-foot wall into 14 feet of freezing cold icy water. You had to do all kinds of crazy things. And there were some things that people would not do. But it was the race that was marked out for us. And we had to compete. And you could only win if you finished. The problem is we live in a world. We live in a world of people who want an advantage. And some people will cheat to get it. Some people will walk all the way around every element and then go through the last element and get their t-shirt in their headband. They just will. And they'll say, I ran the Tough Mudder. They'll do all the running part, but they won't do the element parts. And it's the craziest thing. And it's like, wow, this is absolutely crazy. And so we say that, you know, how can I be 
assured of winning. People that, that, that cheat, they're like, I, I want to be the winner. Listen, when I was running that Tough Mudder, I saw this guy running by me that was ru- running what's called an ultimate tough, tough Mudder. He had X number of hours, I believe it was 24, and in 24 hours, like this 65-year-old man had to see how many times he could run this Tough Mudder. And he kept lapping me. It's like, I'm sure I've seen that guy before somewhere. And pretty soon it's like, I, I know I've seen him before. This guy, he just never stopped moving. And he went over and did every element. And he ran it just a number of times in order to qualify for some sort of a global Tough mutter um, contest that he wanted to be in. And so that's what he was going to do. But, but people are always looking for a way that they can be assured. I absolutely want the win. Where vehicles are concerned, everybody's looking, how can I gain another horsepower or two? I've seen people put different air uh, intakes on their car, cold air intakes. I've seen them put superchargers on their car. Not that we need to know what that is. I've seen them change the gasoline that they use. I've seen them put jet fuel in it. I've seen them do all kinds of things because they need an advantage with their car. When it comes to being a team, we watch people in the NASCAR, and there'll be two cars in a team, and the one guy, they've already decided of the two of them which one's going to win. And the one guy will stay back and he will block people from being able to go around this. I think it's cheating, but he will block people from going around his buddy so that his team can win. Everybody wants an advantage, and sometimes the advantage is you play with a team. On a track, when you're running, people are looking for a shortcut. When I watched Dick Dastardly and Muttley, they were always taking the shortcut. There was always a wooden sign that said shortcut that always ended in their demise. And so it didn't work. But we're always looking for a shortcut as people. But we've been called to run a race that's marked out for us and prescribed for us by Jesus Christ. When I went on the track a couple of weeks ago with my car over in Bowling Green, I had the joy of running it around. Before we got started, there was a man that pulled up, and he set all of us down, and he said, here's the deal. This is the way you're going to run it. Follow my car. Do not pass my car and don't excuse me and try to draw the same line as my car so when he goes around a curve and he he sets up for the curve to go across this way he said follow my lead but we we had to not pass his car we had to follow you just couldn't go off on one of those little roads that made the track shorter you had to follow his car that was the rule and Jesus is calling us to do the exact same thing now the joy is anybody can get on the track Any of you that wants to go to Bowling Green and run a Corvette on their track over there, you can do that. You just have to pay to use their Corvette, and it's not outrageous. It really is not outrageous. If you just want to say, I want to see what this is like, just call over there and say, hey, I want to borrow your 2017 Stingray, and I want to, you know, follow this guy on the track, and I want to know what it means to run there. They'll let you do it. They will. It's a blast. Go ahead and do it. And just like with Jesus, anybody can come. Jesus invites everybody to come, but everybody has to race according to the rules. Now, when I'm following this guy in his little Camaro, sometimes I really wanted him to speed up because I really wanted to push my car. It's like, come on, dude, come on. Let's do this, let's do this. He's trying to keep me from killing myself because I'm just, you know, prone to that, okay? Sometimes I felt like I couldn't keep up. It's like, I think that's just a turbocharged four-cylinder. How come my eight-cylinder can't keep up with that thing? It's not the car. It's the driver. All right? And finally, sometimes I wish he would slow down so I didn't look so bad. 
Because I knew the guys behind me were like, oh man, if this old man would just get out of our way, we could keep up with that Camaro. And I know that because the guys in the back videoed their run, which was really the back end of my car, and they kept a commentary. <laughs> their commentary is what keeps me from showing it up here. <laughs> yeah, I think that old guy could speed him. No, his, his car's got about 400 horse. I don't know what his problem is. Oh, that's him braking again. Why is he braking? It's like, oh my word, kid. It's all right. N neat young man. It's absolutely amazing. But the fact of the matter was, as far as I was concerned, that man in that white Camaro, this was his track, and it was his rules. And I could play on his track all I wanted to, but I did not have any option. I played by his rule, or I was thrown off the track. The one rule, don't pass me. I laughed when he said that, and he stopped, and he said, you laugh, sir. But I have to tell you that because it has happened. And we have had to throw them off the track. It's like, yikes, okay. So as we look at this thing um, and we talk about what it means for us, Peter tells in the book of Acts of the Apostles, in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, the stone that you builders rejected, and he's preaching back to the Jewish people, which has become the cornerstone, he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so we've got this picture of the scripture that, that uh, God is telling us, we have to play by his rules, and it's going to be Jesus. We follow the example of Jesus. It's his track, it's his world, it's his salvation. The fact of the matter is, anybody can come he says there is no other name even Jesus in John 14 says uh, I am the way I am the truth I am the life okay way truth and life nobody comes to the father except through me if you really know me you will know my father as well from now on you do know him you do know God and you've seen him because you're interacting with me that's what Jesus is trying to say to you and I but more than anything he's saying there's one way and it is Jesus. All roads do not lead to heaven, ladies and gentlemen. All religions of the world do not worship the same God. They don't. It's not like we pull a piece from here and we pull a piece from there, and as a result of that, we're doing this. The goal of you and I as Christians is to study to show ourselves approved and get back to Jesus' teachings on who Jesus is so that we can run this race according to the rules Excuse me, that Jesus has set out for you and I, and that's incredibly important. Check out what Jesus said through John the Revelator. You know who John the Revelator is? John is, is John the brother of James. Both of them, they're the sons of thunder, um, renamed Boanerges, um, and, and John says he's the disciple that Jesus loved more than all the other disciples, okay? That's just a nutshell theological version of who John is, okay? But this is what John said, moved by the Holy Spirit of God in the book of Revelation chapter 3. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they, excuse me, who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious, and I want you to hang on to that. <clears throat> the one who is victorious, not the one who beats all the other racers. The one that perseveres as a Christian to the very end. 
that, that person, it says, the one who is victorious will be like them, will be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, in the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation, and it's the book of Revelation, not the book of Hydalation, okay? We're not hiding things. We're trying to reveal things. So when people say, I'll tell you what this means, it means at the bottom of the Cheerio box that there is actually going to be, no, it doesn't. John is doing everything he possibly can to make it crystal clear, believe it or not, to the people that got this letter. And he's writing to the area of Turkey where there are seven churches that have been planted. And as John is writing this letter, moved by the Holy Spirit of God, speaking through and on behalf of Jesus, he says these things. So we know that he's already talking to churches. We know that he is already speaking to the whole gathering. We know that he is speaking to Christian people. He is speaking to followers of the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. That's who he's speaking to in the Bible. That, that's, that's who he's talking to. You Christian people in these seven churches, and he says, um, as he's laying this down, he lays down each one, he says, to him who is victorious, to him who overcomes, to who, him who perseveres in the truth, the Jesus truth, not their own truth. That person will never be removed from the book of life. But what about the person that's hearing this letter that doesn't persevere? What about the person that hears these words of Jesus and halfway through their walk with Christ just says, you know what, hang it all, I'm done. Halfway through the race, they're running good, and this is where Paul would say, man, you were running good, who cut in on you? Who cut in on you that you've, you've abandoned this teaching, that you've drifted away? They're running the race, and John says, if you persevere, you will be given the right to eat from the tree of life. If you overcome, your name will be written down in the Lamb's book of life. If you don't fall away. So you have to ask yourself, as a Christian person, what about the person that's running real hard and then chooses to give up. What about that person? Well, all of these things don't apply to them after that, and so we have to wrestle with that. That's one of those things that says, and John's not trying to say, let me condemn you, let me condemn you. What John is saying is, stay the course. I promise you it is going to be with it, uh, worth it in the end. Do not give up. Do not, because the person that crosses the finish line chasing after Jesus, competing according to his rule, he wins in eternity with God. Do not quit now. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Press on, press on, press on. Your going forth is sure. That's what John's trying to say. John is trying to say, please, please, please don't quit. But we have to race according to the rules now you might say why do we have to say that just like the guy running the little white Camaro why do I have to tell people don't pass me because there are people that honestly think that doesn't apply to me it's crazy you ever been in a coffee shop so many times that there's a customer there's that one guy that comes in and he thinks he's got every right because he's so so normal that he can go behind the counter and just do whatever he wants 
I've seen that before. Back when we owned a coffee shop, we had people come in that thought, they honestly thought it was okay for them to be back behind the counter and do it, you know, get a little extra coffee because, you know, the, the, the barista's busy and the person, you know, taking their orders are busy. and They thought it was okay. We had to say, stop it. You have to be in the coffee shop according to the rules. You can't do that. Can you imagine everybody in the coffee shop just going behind the counter because, well, if you can, I can, right? But we've got these people that think the rules don't apply. And we've got to understand that when we're following Christ, the most important thing is what's been written in red and how does it apply to me? See? And we've got to chase after that. And then we've got to understand the other writings in the New Testament, because we're Gentiles. Understand the other writings in the New Testament, they apply to Jesus' teaching. Jesus isn't preaching their teaching. See? Jesus is laying down the core for the race for you and I. And then they're interpreting it as they plant churches and send out leaders and try to challenge people. And the church tells us, there's no place for us to be sexually immoral in the church. There's none. There's no place for us to still continue to sin because we like it. There's none. There's a place for us to be invested and infected by the Holy Spirit of God and continue into this process of sanctification, of becoming, of becoming more holy. And the idea of holy means set aside. And so first it starts with my actions. Um, you know, you who kill, kill no more. Okay, stop killing people. Don't do that. We all agree. Don't kill people. Okay, don't do that. And then we begin to process out, process out what does the rest of it mean? How does it begin to affect my attitude in my heart? How does Jesus' teaching, and Paul says, well, let's talk about your attitude in the book, his writing to the church in Philippi. Let's talk about your attitude. It should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not think equality with God was something that should be gained, but rather was willing to leave heaven for you and I. See? And so God is saying we have to compete this way. Let me share this with you. God gives everybody on this planet the same opportunity to come join the race. You know, Christianity, as I've just studied it myself, and again, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised with an awareness of God, but I was not raised in a Christian home. It, Christianity is the most inclusive religion out there. It is so inclusive that the God that we come to worship paid the price for us to be able to come in so that we were worthy before we came to him in Christ Jesus. We just had to lay a hold of it in our humility by recognizing that we're sinners and we need him. We can't get to heaven without Jesus. Once we realize that, it's like, oh, Jesus paid the way. Christianity it's the religion where the God made the way for us instead of sitting up there waiting on us to, be, to get good enough to finally be allowed to come into his presence. God made that way. For God so loved the world. We really have to stop throwing rocks at the world because the scripture says, for God so loved the world. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. John wrote, for God so loved the world. He's not mad at it. He doesn't want the sin to go on, especially in the church. We have to raise our personal bar of what we watch, how we talk, 
where we go running around, and what we're willing to do to reflect the values of the kingdom of God. God loves the whole world, not just Jewish people. The Jewish people were supposed to be the priests to the world, the example. Whoever chooses to believe won't perish, won't die, won't go to hell. Whoever puts their trust in Christ will live forever. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, I promise you he's not building a church that condemns the world. Paul told the church in Rome, the world stands condemned already. That's why Christ came. It's kind of like beating somebody for doing something wrong that they already know that they did wrong. We need to find a corrective measure, not a punitive measure, because we're trying to raise little people. I'm talking about parenting. Sure, your child can come in and say, hey, I broke the window. I'm so sorry. I should not have been throwing the ball toward the house. And then you can say, well, then you have to have a beating. That is purely punitive. There has to be a place where we want to disciple our children. There may be consequences, and I agree with that. Some of you are like, well, there's consequences. I, I, I know. You have to replace the window. <laughs> You're going to probably have the child sweep up the glass or help somehow. But it's kind of crazy once they know they've done something wrong to then beat them because then they're not going to come back to you the next time they've done something wrong. They're going to try to hide it. The point is, are you trying to disciple them, to discipline them, or are you trying to punish them because you're mad? See, and God is not trying to punish us because he's mad. He's trying to discipline us, to correct us, because he wants us home with him. The second thing is, everybody is still running the race. Look around. Other than the fact that we're missing 70 women, everybody is still running the race. I mean, they're running the race somewhere else. They better be running the race. <laughs> but they're running the race somewhere else, but they're running the race. You're not alone. We have to keep running until the trumpet sounds. Peter says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And Peter is specifically talking about his, his promise that he's going to come back and take us home with him. See, when Jesus died and was resurrected, people thought he was coming back in the next couple of weeks. Paul writes like he's coming back, I mean, eminently, eminently. He's coming back and it's all going to be over. And Peter's saying, hold on, let me disagree with Paul for just a split second here. A day with the Lord is not like you and I. And he says a thousand years and he lays that out. And he says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as people understand slowness. But this is it. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And what he's saying, the day is going to come when, when Jesus just comes back, trumpets blown, boom, people are disappearing everywhere, and you're wondering, what just happened? What just happened? That day is coming. That's not a metaphor. That day is coming. And it's like, whoa. So we know everybody gets the same opportunity to start in this race. You can go to Bowling Green and rent their car. Everybody can run that track. Anybody that wants to run that track can. 
Anybody that wants to walk with Jesus can walk with Jesus. He's saying, come follow me. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a Joe Wood. You didn't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to do any of the stuff that I have done. You can walk with Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, open up your Bible and start reading it for yourself. Seriously. But as you read the things that Christ calls us to, then he's calling us to step up our game, not lower the bar to make it easier for everybody to do whatever they want and find forgiveness. And then finally, the finally, what I want to share with you is that everybody has to compete by the rules. Listen, that's not optional. And that's the thing that we struggle with inside of the church so much. It's just that idea, not that we're following rules for rules' sake and that gets us in, but because God loved us so much, how can I not do what he's called me to do? Why do I put my job first and my career, my career first and my 401k first? Why do I put anything on this earth ahead of the call of God to go and do and be exactly what he's called me to go and do and be? I, I need to, to finish well so he can say, that's exactly what I wanted you to do right there. Thank you so much. You did a great job. It doesn't matter what other people do. What matters is, is Joe Wood running the course that's marked out for him because my course, my race is a little bit different than yours. I've been called to be the pastor. Some of you have been called to be probably leaders of Fortune 500 companies. Some of you have been called to go into missions around the world. Some of you have been called to go into missions at your job. But we've all been called. But everybody has to play by the rules. What did Jesus say? And we have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's it. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and that's all. And nobody comes to God, nobody comes to heaven except through me. And he's not being mean when he does that because he came down here and died to make the way for it. And so we have to grab, grab a hold of that. One way, it's Jesus or nothing, and it doesn't matter if I understand it you know, to all the degree that, that uh, you know, somebody else might, that John Wimber did, who knows? The question that, that we begin to ask ourselves is, am I going to win this race? Am I going to stay at it? Am I going to persevere? Am I going to compete according to the rules? Because to a racer, to a follower of Jesus Christ, integrity means everything. Character ahead of everything. Character first. Am I playing? What about you? Are you running races, this race, and trying to take shortcuts in following Jesus? There's no shortcut for time spent in the Word so that you can know the Word. I know you'd like to know it better, and there's only one way to do that. Turn off the TV, and actually it's okay to tell people, hey, I need some time to myself with Jesus. I'm going to spend an hour or two here just reading this book because I need to know what Jesus said. Are you running the race and actually specifically ignoring some of his instructions? Are you trying to go past him? Are you trying to cut off and get ahead of everybody else? Are you trying to look good in a big painted car that's got no motor in it? You can't run well that way. Do you need to quit actually proactively quit trying to cheat 
So many people will say, I know, but I can do this and still be a Christian. How close can I continue to sin and still be a Christian? Why, is, why would you want to know that? Why wouldn't we want to know how close we can get to Jesus rather than how close we can get to sin? Why wouldn't we want that question in front of us? Or are you pretending to race and you're just driving all over the track and you really aren't racing at all, you just want to be there? Back in 2003, I moved here and there was a friend of mine that had a PS2 game called NASCAR. And he invited me over and so we raced NASCAR on the PS2 on his TV and we had fun. But here's the problem. Every time he would start losing in comparison to everybody around him, he would turn his car around and drive the other way. I just, I just wanted to beat him with the controller. I just wanted to stand up and say, you're a grown man while I hold my controller play my video game and say stop it I wanted to say if you do that again I'm never coming to your house the 43 year old man <laughs> but there are people that when they don't get the attention and they're afraid of what everybody thinks they look like they just drive the other way and do crazy stuff does that describe you in the race when everybody's looking, you're running the race, but if it feels like you're losing, then you just do whatever you want when nobody's looking. It matters. Listen to me. You need Jesus, and Jesus wants you. You need Jesus, but Jesus wants you. He doesn't want you cleaned up. He doesn't want you perfect. He, does, he wants you now, and then he wants to be the one to take care of those things in your life. He wants to call you out. He wants to put his arms around you. He wants to whisper in your ear. He wants to tell you he loves you. He wants to say, keep running. He wants to say, stop that. He wants to. And I want to encourage you to let him. You and I are all born separated from God Almighty. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And there's nothing we can do about it. We need Jesus. But there comes a time in our lives where we have to stop going to church and we have to admit you know what i need to surrender my life to jesus he needs all of it and i'm going to give it to him and these people are up here to pray with you and if you're in here today and you're like you know that describes what's going on in my life i want to go to jesus and say i know you love me and I know you died for me. Here's my life. Thank you for giving it back to me. We want to pray with you. If something else is going on in your race, and it feels like you're just sliding all over the track, and you're going every which way, and you just want some direction from God, can we pray with you? This morning, can we pray with you? I'm going to invite you to your feet. We're going to go into this closing song. Anytime during this song, you are welcome to come up here and ask, will you pray for me? And you can say, hey, what it is, or you can say, you know what? I've just got a prayer request. Could you pray for me? You can come up here and surrender your life to Jesus today and walk out of here knowing that you are that person written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's why we gather together on Sunday mornings for you to come father as we come before you right now we thank you for today we thank you for running the race we thank you that there's no shortcuts we thank you Jesus that you although would have liked to have done things differently you were willing to avoid any shortcuts at all 
There was no detour for you. It was the cross or nothing. And you endured the cross, scorned its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and you did it all for the joy set before you, and that's us, your humanity that you created. Thank you for your love. Open up our hearts, Holy Spirit. Move us not to leave here the same people we were when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.